If you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to invite you. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. I want to start with three words, and I'm sure in this series in Hebrews you've heard them before, but I want to begin there. Jesus is better. I want to repeat those three words because I don't think we can hear those three words enough. Jesus is better. I have to remind myself of those three words, that Jesus is better. I have to remind my family all the time of those three words, that Jesus is better. Those in my community and in the church that we're planting in Norfolk, Virginia, I have to remind them over and over, and they have to remind me that Jesus is better. Again, by the grace of God, I'm glad that I have family uh, three hours north. I'm in southeast Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, planting the Mission Church, a biblically rich gospel-centered church there in Southampton Roads. And I'm glad that we're family, that we're friends, that we're partners in the gospel, uh, not only in the Commonwealth, but through Sojourn Network, which we recently were approved as church planters uh, with a church planting church uh, with the Sojourn Network. And uh, we're just starting. And I was encouraged when I saw that video that recently came out a couple of months ago, about five years celebrating what God has been doing here in Fairfax and in the surrounding communities. And I just want to just commend you for your labor of love, gospel ministry here in this area. And I just want to encourage you to keep going, keep going, uh, because we're running the same race. But as I see you running the race well, uh, it encourages me to keep going and to keep pressing on and to keep persevering in the ministry that God has given to us. And so today I just want to take about 30, 35 minutes to reflect on faith, uh, to give us a word on faith, which I think is the heart of Hebrews 11, 17 through 22. Uh, And and, and God is is good to give us some time together in the word, to sing together, pray together, read scripture together, hear proclamation from the word together, and to share a family meal together in light of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so uh, before we press into a a word on faith, I want to remind us about the faithfulness of God. I want to remind us about the faithfulness of God, which is what I believe the author of Hebrews is doing in a very pastoral way uh, with a heart uh, uh, focused on the goodness of Christ and and the joy of uh, those who would read this letter. He, He wants them to uh, understand the faithfulness of God. And and we know where the faithfulness of God begins. It begins at the beginning. Uh, God is is faithful to create for his glory. The picture that we get in Genesis chapter one is of God just showing off. Uh, God creates a sun just to show off his glory. Right. God creates the moon just to show off his glory. And God is is all about just showing off his glory. He creates the greenest grass and and it's beautiful. And and he creates uh, the waters and the oceans and and the crux of God's creation are are the humans, Adam and Eve. Well, we know by Genesis chapter three that the glory, uh, uh, the image of God is not lost, but it's distorted through Adam and Eve's disobedience and rebellion against their creator, against the covenant God. And so Genesis chapter one and two, as as we read about creation, it it gives us the, the beautiful picture of general revelation. 
And then we see the distorted nature of it by Genesis chapter three with the fall. But we know that God is faithful Uh, by Genesis chapter three, verse 15. uh, We get the promise that through Eve's line uh, that that humanity will be restored, that there will be a seed, that there will be a deliverer, that there will be a rescuer, that there will be a savior to fix the mess created in the garden. And the rest of the Old Testament, we see God is faithful to raise up leaders, human leaders, imperfect leaders, but to raise up leaders on his behalf. And then we enter into the New Testament and we see the greatest leader in human history. God is faithful in providing his son for a people who were lost, who were destined for death and eternal separation from him. And God is so good, y'all, that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world who lives a perfect life, who heals many who are sick, who cast out demons, who goes into the synagogue and he preaches and he teaches as one who has authority, not like the Pharisees and the scribes of the day. He calls men and women to follow after him in discipleship and they came to follow after him in discipleship. And we know that one of his disciples Judas Iscariot betrayed him and and they took Jesus by night and he was sentenced under Pontius Pilate and he was beaten. He was spit upon. He was laughed at and he was mocked and he was crucified. And and then we know after three days, this is where the story gets real good. Uh, Mary and the other Mary, they go to see the tomb, but Jesus is not in the tomb for he is risen as he said that he would. And so God is is faithful in providing humanity with what they need, a a savior. And the resurrected Jesus is faithful in commissioning his church to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that the resurrected Jesus has commanded. And then he gives that glorious promise that I will be with you even unto the end of the age. But he, he doesn't just uh, give his disciples a, a commission without giving them his spirit. Acts chapter one, verse eight, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And so God is, is faithful. He gives them the spirit to be witnesses. That's why God has given his spirit to the church. And I'm encouraged that all of you are present here today because this is a witness of the truthfulness of the claims of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not only does he give the spirit that the church might be witnesses on his behalf in all, into every corner of the earth, but by his spirit, he perseveres us, which is a major theme in, in Hebrews. And, and by his spirit, he warns and he encourages and he exhorts the church to continue in their confession of Christ. And as I, I hear this church is, hit five years and you're praying and and pleading with the Lord that he'd give you clarity about the next five years, we can trust that the same God who planted this church by his gospel and has sustained and persevered this church to be able to celebrate five years, that he will continue to persevere this church by his grace and by his spirit. And so church gathered by the spirit under the lordship of Jesus, hear a word on faith. Let's look at verse 17. It says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Uh, What the author of Hebrews is doing in this first verse is he's pastoring these believers And he's a good pastor 
I don't know. Uh, I mean, we could we could spend some time grappling with who the author is, but obviously in his language, it's clear that he's a good pastor because he's reminding uh, these listeners to remember Uh, what he's doing is he's reiterating a truth that they already know. And and that's the work of a good pastor. Uh, Y'all might be wondering why your pastors are constantly reminding you and reiterating the gospel is because we as sheep, we are so quick to forget. We are so quick to forget. And so the ministry of pastoring is reminder and reiteration. But that's also member ministry as the members in the life of this church regularly, consistently remind each other of the truths that uh, that unite you, remind each other of the truths that that keep you up, remind each other about truths about God that sustain us and encourage us even in difficult days. And, And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. He's reminding them about Abraham. He's pastoring them, shepherding them to remind remember a patriarch in the faith, to remember Abraham. And and we know the story of the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But then he points them to a unique story in the life of Abraham's history, in 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 the life of his story, his journey walking with God here on earth. And he draws their attention to Genesis chapter 2. Verse Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. Now, I want to briefly read that because I think it's a benefit for us today. And you can put your finger there in Hebrews 11 and turn over, or you can just listen closely and stay in Hebrews 11. But I think Genesis chapter 2, 22, gives us clarity on the reason the author of Hebrews is quoting this story. Starting in verse 1, it says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Verse two, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. and He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham offers up his his only son. And it makes me wonder what words come to your mind as you see Abraham listening to the voice of God and, and being willing to offer his son up as a sacrifice before God. What words come to mind? Maybe sacrifice, maybe trust, maybe dependency. My favorite is worship. Worship. Abraham, with this worshipful posture, is is willing to obey the voice of God, even to the point of offering up his son as a sacrifice. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 18, uh, it goes on to say, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Isaac, who is described in Genesis 22, verse 2, as Abraham's beloved son. And so I don't know if Abraham was thinking there's got to be some type of contradiction here. The text doesn't tell us about a wrestle or or a grapple, uh, uh, meaning uh, my my line will continue. There'll be many blessings that the promises of God are related to this son and I'm to offer him up. I don't know if Abraham had that grapple or or that wrestle. But I I, I do know that Abraham was experiencing walking with God and he was a willing to obey the voice of God, even to the point of offering up his son. And we can rest assured today that there is no contradiction in God, that the promises would come through this son, but that God would call Abraham to offer him up. Although it might have been perceived to be a contradiction, as one commentator says, God asked him, that's Abraham, to sacrifice the very one through whom God himself had promised to multiply his descendants and make him a great nation. But in God, even as he calls Abraham to this task of offering up his son, there is no contradiction in God. Christianity has all of these various different paradoxes like the one I I think is detailed in this story, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the just, is offered up for the unjust. Listen, there's a whole group of people uh, called Christians, uh, and they they walk around and they talk about that God is is so holy. God is so holy that he has to judge sin. And they walk around and they say things uh, like, uh, although God is holy and he has to judge sin, Uh, uh, We acknowledge as Christians that we are sinners, but then even as Christians, we acknowledge that we will not be judged, and that might be perceived to be a contradiction. Uh, These same people, these Christians, they claim that Jesus was sinless, but he was judged. And so sometimes our unbelieving friends are like, you're going to have to help me out here, right? Uh, You're going to have to break it down. How do you admit that you are, as a Christian, that you are a sinner and God is holy and he must judge sin, but Jesus, you claim this Jesus was sinless, but he was judged as if he lived a sinful life. And we can humbly answer 
our non-Christian friends who, who have a difficulty with what might be perceived as a contradiction. Dear friends, that's not a contradiction. That's good news. That's not a contradiction that, that God would deliver his holy and perfect and righteous son up in our place. That's an announcement that needs to be made known to every man, uh, a woman, every boy, every child, every boy, every girl. Everyone under God's, in, on God's green earth needs to hear the message that Christ was offered up in our place. That is gospel. The cross It's good news for guilty people. But the resurrection of Christ is all the more glorious news and it should produce in us a great joy. It should produce in us a gladness that can only be found having been the recipient of what Christ has done on behalf of sinners. And it should produce a rejoicing. It should produce a song in our hearts. We should sing Alleluia. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. That should be the song of those who have benefited from what Christ has done. That should produce in us a faith in Christ. That should produce in us a trust, an overwhelming reliance upon what Christ has done in our place. And we should live our lives as if our right standing with God is not based upon our performance. It's not based upon our Christian report card as if there is one, right? It's not based upon how well we did this week. Uh, there's no point system, but, but our faith and our trust is reliant upon what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done alone. No extras, no additives, but Christ and his work and his work alone. You see, I'm convinced that resurrection was in the mind of Abraham. I'm convinced that resurrection was in the heart of Abraham, so to the point in verse 19 here in Hebrews 11, that he considered that God was able even to raise him, that's Isaac, from the dead. There was something going on in the heart of Abraham where where he understood to some extent uh, that Christ I'm sorry, that God, his understanding as he walked with the Lord, that he could raise, he must be able to raise this son whom the promises are associated with from the dead. And this is a good gift to us from God, the author of life, who will free us from death. It is God who will free us from the power and the penalty and the eternal consequences of sin. It is God and God alone. This God gives life to the dead. This God uh, brings low and this God exalts. This God does a humbling work. And if you're here today and you're in a humbling season, you're not in a bad place. If you're walking through that humbling season that the Lord is, is doing in your life as you walk with him, you're in a good place because the Lord brings low. He humbles and the Lord exalts. Uh, the Lord is the Lord of death and he, he's the Lord of life. Uh, He can bring low and he can resurrect. He can uh, take a a man or a woman who is spiritually dead and give them spiritual life and vitality. It is God and God alone. And we know on this day, right, that we read about in Genesis chapter 2, that Isaac was spared. But we also know eventually that Isaac dies, right? Even those whom Jesus Jesus healed in his ministry Uh, they all eventually die. But my question is, is there hope after death? Is there life after death? Is there a hope of resurrection? 
Is there a death that leads to life? I love Peter on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he makes it very clear that a a, a bad thing didn't happen to a good man, but Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And then he knows that his hearers that day hold David in high esteem. And he says, listen, y'all, David, he was placed in the tomb and his tomb is with us even until this day. And then he points to Christ and says, his tomb is empty, for he has risen as he said that he would. What's my point? David, hold him in high esteem. Abraham, great man of faith, hold him in high esteem. But my point is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Uh, These great heroes of the faith, uh, Jesus, his life is better. It's of greater significance. Jesus, his death, it's greater than all uh, of these deaths. Uh, It's of greater significance. His resurrection leads us to do what the disciples did when they saw him, to take hold of his feet and to worship him. Resurrection should lead to worship and his return from sacrifice. The benefits and the blessings that accompany are better than what Abraham and Isaac show us here. Now, the latter part of of verse 19, it says this. So the beginning, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Uh, Some translations might say, therefore, he received him as a type. And there's some interpretive uh, content there that I'm sure the elders of the church would love to get with you in the next couple of weeks and share a coffee, share a meal and grapple with what the implications are there. But I think we kind of get the thrust. Right. Abraham offering Isaac. But there's something much greater and of greater significance as we continue to read our Bible. And it's Christ and his glorious sacrifice and his resurrection. But in verse 20, we read this by faith. Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And I think what's taking place here is Isaac trusted God. Isaac believed God and was convinced that there was a future blessing in and with God. And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, you haven't believed in Christ yet, we love you. We're glad that you're here. We encourage you to stay among the people who are here today, build relationships, build friendships uh, with the people who are here today. But if you aren't believing uh, today, we want to encourage you that there are blessings in and with God. And we're enjoying those blessings, right? The gospel in community and relationships on mission with a purpose in life to glorify Christ, to make him known, right? But, but we don't want to just enjoy the blessings of, of walking with the Lord by ourselves. We would love for you to join in with us and to participate in this worshiping community that God has established here. But if you're a believer here today, I hope that you believe that. If you're a believer here today and you didn't even want to get up today, you were like, I should just sleep in. Or, or, or you're struggling, you're in a season of struggling and you're like, I'm not really doing well as a Christian, right? You go back to our Christian report card example, you're like, I'm just not killing it right now. Um, I'm not really good at this Christianity thing. I want to encourage you. Stay the course. Persevere in your faith. Don't give up. Right. Uh, There may be some things you need to put off. There may be uh, some 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 discipleship that you can uh, enjoy with another brother and sister in this community. But don't give up. 
Don't just walk away. Don't, don't just uh, squander what the Lord has begun in you. Believe that there are blessings in Christ, in the present, and there are future blessings. And that's the point of this gathering, to remind us all to stay the course, to remind us as a whole community to persevere and to not give up and not to lose hope and to believe the promises, to believe the promise of the resurrected Jesus that I am with you, right? I'm sure there's a man or there's a woman here today who feels lonely. You're in a, in a crowded room and, and you're like, I don't have any friends and, and I don't know if anybody loves me. And I, I, I feel a little better sometimes when I go to the worship gathering, but then I just go back to my lonely life. And, and, and so it's incumbent upon everyone here to be reaching out, to be loving and encouraging, to be reminding and reiterating, to be taking folks to the truths of the scripture, whether we're taking them to Abraham or we're taking them to David or we're walking with them through one of the gospels and reminding them that they are not alone, that the resurrected Jesus and his spirit is with them. And God has given them covenant brothers and sisters in the local church that will walk with them and spur them on to love and good works. That's the work of the ministry uh, to remind each other of our hope, of our belief, and our faith in Christ. And verse 21 says this, it was by faith that Jacob, when dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob was ill. He was on his deathbed, and, and he's still bestowing blessings upon his sons. And, and all the blessings that he is bestowing upon his sons are predicated on the promises of God by faith. You can read these in Genesis 48, verses 15 and 16. I, I'll read them. This is uh, Jacob on his deathbed, and it says this, Genesis 48, 15 through 16, and he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. God is a good shepherd. Verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, he says uh, toward his sons, uh, asking and, and pleading with the Lord, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Even facing death, he believed God. Even facing death, he had faith. And he goes on to say in Genesis 48, verse 21, behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Listen, he has a wholehearted, unwavering trust in the promises of God. And I think by the spirit, God is calling us to adopt this unwavering trust and belief in the God who has promised good things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's the church. That's the church on mission. Right. Trusting and resting in the promises of God, like Jacob, like Abraham, like Isaac. And then in verse 22, it was by faith. There's that word again. At the end of his life. Made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning their bones. What Joseph is saying, I believe in the promises uh, that there's a place, that there's a land, uh, and, and I, I trust, just take my bones there. 
<laughs> I want to benefit even uh, at the end of my time here on earth. I know I will die, but, but you take my bones to the promised land. And I got really excited because our church, when, before we transitioned to meet on, on Sundays, we met on Friday nights um, at a mainline Protestant denominational church. And uh, the minister there, she had been there for quite some time, and she had this library. Um, she went to a Presbyterian uh, seminary in Virginia, and then she assumed the role as minister and leading this church. And she retired while we were meeting there, and she said, Reverend Shannon, uh, would you like to have my books from my library? And I said, sure, I'll come, I'll come take a look. <laughs> now, there was some, some stuff that wasn't great. Um, but there was some gold in there, and I, and I gladly took the gold and uh, said, I'll help you do whatever with the rest of it <laughs> that you see fit. Uh, but one of the books that I considered to be gold, it was an African-American commentary on the New Testament. And as I'm thinking in my life, man, I want to diversify my reading and, 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 and go broad and, and hear some, some, some voices that I usually don't hear. Um, I don't know if I would have come across this African-American commentary on the New Testament. And I said, as I was preparing this message this last week, I said, man, that commentary, if I, make the, if I connect the dots, the Exodus, the Exodus narrative having a, a supreme place in the historical African-American church, and I've got this African-American commentary on the New Testament, I'm sure that this commentator on Hebrews, he kills it in connecting the dots between Exodus and what is going on here in verse 22. And it's a great commentary, but he didn't have any, any richness, and he didn't make the parallel that I was hoping he would make. But in that searching process, I found this gold as he comments on verse 22. Listen closely with me. This is what this commentator says. He says, the experience of each person shows, that's Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, how faith worked at some crucial juncture in their life. Each, each person's story allows us to watch individuals wrestle for meaning in contexts that seem crushing and unimaginable. All of the listed persons responded to life as pilgrims, caught between past and future in a very demanding present. And their trust in God's concern for them gave them perspective, gave them patience, and gave them persistent for the individual who is saying that describes my life right now. Have perspective, God's faithfulness in the past and trust in his promises for the future and his promises for the present, for the whole community. Have perspective, God's faithfulness the last five years. I love that celebration video. It spurs my heart on about the faithfulness of God and his promises to plant his gospel and to gather a people around his gospel. And, and, and it, it calms my, my anxious heart because I'm like, ooh, I want to be there. But God is gracious uh, with, the, with the 29 folks that we have who are committed to our church plant present day. So be patient. And it, and it gives us persistence, a gospel persistence to continue in the good things that uh, this church was founded on, to continue in the good works and the good deeds and, and the good words of the gospel. You see, what God is doing uh, with these few five verses is he is uh, taking a human author and communicating his ways and his words to a people who are gathered in the name of the big A author, God himself. Christ has commissioned us to go make disciples, and this is done through planting gospel churches like this church 
It comes by reminder, reiteration, and encouragement like we see in this passage. And y'all are an encouragement to my heart. I can go back and tell the folks in Norfolk, there's a church that loves us, three hours north, that's praying for us, that's for us, and that's with us as we do the work that God has called us to by faith. One author said, faith is living with the certainty that God will fulfill his promises. Faith is living with the certainty that God will fulfill his promises. And as we reflect on faith, these indeed are great heroes in the faith, but I want to remind us as I conclude that Jesus surpasses them all. His perfect life, his death, his uh, being nailed to a cross, his nails in his hands, his nails in his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the purple garment wrapped around him, the scepter that was given to him as they mocked him. Jesus surpasses them all as Jesus was placed in the tomb. And as we behold his glorious resurrection, Jesus surpasses them all. And I think we can respond in three ways. You could call it uh, three ways to respond or three points of application. Let's behold Christ in all of his resurrection glory. And let's be sure. Let's be resolved to believe the promises of Christ. Secondly, we can live. uh, Maybe uh, we should be reminded that we don't want to become too comfortable here because there is a promised place, a promised city, if you will. And we are simply passing through. We are travelers on the way, and we must pray that God would uh, not make us comfortable, too comfortable here, but that God would make us comfortable sharing himself to others who don't know him and to invite them to travel with us. And then lastly, it should draw us to look, to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews 12, 2. So I want to pray for us, and then I want Pastor Justin to come forward and, and lead us in this family, this fellowship meal centered upon Christ. Join with me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. God, we adore you as God. We adore you as the one who was, who is, and who is to come. God, we thank you for these great examples of faith, and and, and we struggle, Lord, because uh, we fall short. Uh, God, we are undone. Uh, We fall short of of faith. Our faith is so imperfect. But God, uh, we rejoice with thanksgiving uh, that the object of our faith is perfect. Christ, you are perfect. You are glorious, and we look to you. We find our hope in you. We find our joy and our satisfaction in you, and we believe your promises. God, thank you that there are men and women here today who were reminded of your promises. And God, thank you that there are men and women here today who were reminded of their role in the life of this community to remind the other brothers and sisters about the promises of God. Lord, we make supplication for those who who don't believe. God, would you give us opportunities to open up our mouth and to share about the goodness of Jesus? And God, we pray for those who uh, are somewhere grappling with how they should relate to you. God, I pray that they would trust in you, that they would hope in you, and that uh, they would enter into a joyful relationship with you by faith.
God, we believe that you have spoken to us today, and we thank you for that with gladness and joy in our heart as we turn our hearts to sharing a family meal together. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.